Um, I, I didn't think it made sense for us to finish this book without taking a quick look back. So I want to talk about a little bit what we talked about in the very first week of our Romans series. So from week one, we made this one statement that I think really, really pushes the book of Romans forward. So from week one, um, this is what we said. We said that Romans always brings new challenges to old traditions. Every time we read the book of Romans, we are kind of overwhelmed by the pushback on any sort of status quo that has grown. I mean, that's the nature of the gospel, right? The, the gospel is always constructing and deconstructing at the same time. I mean, I always think of it like, you know, um, when, when, we, when we build a fence around going the extra mile, the gospel always says, well, it's good that you're going two, now you have to go four. I mean, that's the problem with the gospel. The moment you build a wall, it tears it back down, no matter how far out that wall is. Is. And we see that happening because one of the things, and again, from week one, one of the things that Romans does is it challenges the status quo. It challenges the status quo, but it does it for a reason, that all may know Christ without all of the issues of the law. And, and you know what we call people who push the status quo all the time? Well, I mean, we love those Apple commercials, right, that they used to show that like, here's to the crazy ones, you know, the black and white commercials, and you're all inspired. You're like, here's to the crazy ones, the ones that didn't, you know, do what everybody else did. And we're like, yeah, we want to be those people. Except you know what we call those people, right? We call those people heretics. We do, and we don't like them when they're happening. I'm teaching this Christian history class, and when you read about Martin Luther, everyone's like, we love Martin Luther. No, we didn't. We all hated Martin Luther when he showed up. We thought he was, you know, this guy's crazy. Anytime somebody pushes back on the status quo, we don't like them then. But man, do we like them 150 years later. They're awesome. And we're like, yeah, of course, I would have been right with you. No, you wouldn't have. I'll say something here that pushes up back on our status quo and I get people already standing out there waiting for me. Like, hey, let's go easy. And I'm like, oh, just wait 150 years, <laughs> right? So next time you don't like something I say, hold on, in 150 years, write me an email, right? My bet is your ideas will have changed, right? Romans always pushes back on the status quo because Romans is a book that has to have us release control when we talk about something being solus Christus, Christ alone, that means we don't need a lot of other things other than Christ. Now, of course, we fellowship together because that's wise for us to do for mutual encouragement and all these types of things. But, but your salvation doesn't come from the songs that we sing, from the fellowship that we have, even although those are blessings that come from acknowledging who Jesus is. But your salvation comes from Christ alone. This is the thing that saves it. You guys are on fire today. I like you. Like, let's go. This is going to be a good day. Huh? It's good because nine o'clock was a little sleepy. I'm not going to lie. Um, but, you know, they got here on time. So um, you guys showed up a little late, but it's all right. Um, now, you're, now you're here. Listen, this remains a dangerous concept that we release control right? It, it, it does. It remains a dangerous concept because you can't control what God is doing, what the Holy Spirit is doing, especially when you're focusing on him. And that makes us concerned at times because what Romans does is it always focuses back on Jesus. And when this becomes the main focus of your faith, things happen. And if you don't believe me, let me tell you what's happened through Crosswalk, through God working through Crosswalk in the last 28 weeks. A few things. Number one, uh, we planted a church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Amen? Yeah. They're meeting every single week now, and on a holiday weekend, they still had 100 people meeting, watching the videos of what we're doing, 
right? That's amazing. God is doing that. We have a group in the Yukon that is growing because they're using the messages of Crosswalk Church, right? We just got approval. I mentioned this last week. We just got approval from Southern California Conference, and they gave us a part-time pastor to plant a church in the Covina, Glendora, Azusa area. So that's going to be happening pretty soon. Is that amazing? Yeah, so we're going to be talking about that more. That's, that's incredibly exciting, incredibly forward thinking for their conference. So praise God for that. Um, so God, you know, when you focus on Jesus, stuff happens, Amen. right? It, it keeps you busy. Like, I'm exhausted. But praise God for it. He's growing his kingdom. See, because this is what happens when you focus on Jesus, like a laser, when you put a light that focuses on Jesus, he acts like a prism and incredible colors come out of that. Right, we have a tendency to think, you know, if we just shine a light on something, no. When you shine a light on Jesus, there's an explosion of grace that happens, an explosion of color that changes the look of everything. And this is what the book of Romans does. And now we're in chapter 16, and we are going to start taking a look at the wrap-up. It's time to end the letter. And he's going to do some greetings. He's going to do some um, commendations. He's going to give some, some advice and some wisdom. And he starts with a request. And it starts like this. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon in the church in Centria. He says, our sister. So she's a member. She's a servant. And she has responsibilities. She's a deacon. She's serving the church. And this is not unusual that they would say, I commend this person to you because they didn't know who she was. And she shows up with this letter and he goes, hey, listen, I want you to take care of her. And then he says it this way, welcome her in the Lord as one who is worthy of honor among God's people. Help her in whatever way she needs for she has been helpful to many and especially to me. Paul says with a heartfelt warm idea. But it's an interesting question. The way this is written in the New Living Translation sounds like it's talking about the worthiness of Phoebe. However, in other translation, it sounds like he's talking about the worthiness in which they conduct themselves, the way in which they conduct themselves. And it could kind of go either way, depending on how you translate it. I don't think it really matters. Whether it's, hey, she's worthy, she's a worthy sister, so take care of her, or take care of her in the way that is worthy of the saints. It doesn't matter. What Paul is saying is, can you take care of this woman? Because she means a lot to me, and she's taking care to do a lot of really great things. And then he has 13 verses of greetings. And we won't go through every single one, but he begins to greet certain people in the church in Rome. Now, what's fascinating is that some of these names you've heard before in other churches. And so there is actually a bit of scholarship out there that says this particular chapter was not supposed to be in the book of Romans. It was actually somehow lost and it should have been um, to the book to the Ephesians or the letter to the Ephesians because he's mentioning people that were in the church in Ephesus as well. But those of us who grew up in the Seventh-day Adventist church recognize something. We recognize that there's not six degrees of separation from most of us. There's probably two, <laughs> right? Because if you, if the conversation starts like this, oh, where'd you go to college? PUC? AUC? Southwestern, Southern, Andrews, La Sierra. If it starts a conversation like that, you're going to go, oh, oh, so you went to PC. Do you know so-and-so? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. We went to medical school together. Like that's the way these conversations are going to go. If you know somebody, I know somebody. And if they were in a geographic area with a bunch of Avenists, we're going to know each other. The gene pool is super shallow. Right? Which does cause its own problems at times. We recognize that gene pool being too shallow, you get a wonky eye. But, um, <laughs> but, 
I, I don't know if that's how that works. Anyway, there wasn't that many people. So when he begins to greet people that are now in the church of Rome, it's because he knew them. It's a pretty small group of people at that time. So who does he recognize? He recognizes Aquila and Priscilla. He recognizes them. These were tent makers that were driven from Rome in about AD 48. Paul met them in Corinth and they loved Paul and worked with Paul so closely that they actually went with him to Ephesus. He welcomes Epionidas, who is the earliest convert to Christ in the whole of Asia. And then he welcomes some women. He greets some women. Mary, who says, he says, worked hard for Christ. And then three other women as well. Trophina, Trophosa, and Persis. And you know what he says about them? He says they were involved in exhaustive work for Christ. And here's what's fascinating. He doesn't say that about any of the men. He's like, they were there too. We hung out. The women did the work. They were involved in the exhaustive work of Christ, right? And what we see here is that from the earliest times in the church, women were never excluded. They were never excluded from fellowship. They were never excluded from the work. They were never excluded, apparently, from responsibility. I don't know what we are afraid of all the time, right? And listen, I get it. Paul says some things that are very tough, but you got you to understand the context in which he was speaking them in. But practically speaking, he didn't stop a woman from taking care of business. He wasn't like, oh, a man can do that better, Phoebe. No, he says, you better take care of Phoebe. She's helped me a lot, right? I'm so grateful for the women that are involved in ministry today, right here in this church. Absolutely. Because if I were to make a list, it would sound like this. Names like Sarah, Christiane, Alexandra, Christine, Chelsea, Amy, Kari. I could go on and on about the women who make this church run because dudes, if it was us, forget it. Like we would have done it once and been like, that's a lot of work. Nobody's getting coffee next week. Like, forget it. Like, if you want coffee, stop at a 7-Eleven on your way here. Like, we're not going to do music. Somebody's going to have to plug in something. Like, dude, that's... I... The women really like this joke. The guys are like, huh, uh, probably. You're probably right. Um, let's face it. Without women, there would be no church. Without women, there would be no church. So I don't know what we're afraid of. And I think it's silly. And I think we need to just take care of it and move on, in my opinion. Because the work of God is going to take every single hand that's available. All right, so praise God for every hand that is available. That's my opinion. And then the last verses, 14 and 16, not the last verses of the text, in the last verses of this greeting, um, verses 14 and 16, he says he wants, to, he wants to recognize, he wants to greet some dear friends. Right? These are people that he's done ministry with. And the reason why he calls them dear friends is that the work of Jesus, when you do it with other people, it bonds people together. If you want to know someone, serve next to them. And by the way, if you come to this church and you don't know anybody, we can solve that problem. Just come and serve, right? Because as you serve next to people, you get to know them. It's beautiful. I was watching it on Thursday night. Our community partners ministry fed about 100 um, low-income and homeless folk. There, they gave him an amazing Thanksgiving meal. And Becky and Jim, thank you guys again for the work that you do. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty sure at this point, Becky is just feeding the Inland Empire. 
like out of her kitchen at home. Um, but watching people serve together who didn't know each other, stand next to each other and serve. And like there were some critical situations there because, you know, Thanksgiving is the kind of meal that people have very specific ideas about. You know, if you're serving, if you're serving sweet potatoes and you serve mashed potatoes, you got to know who you're serving because some of us are sweet potato, mashed potato people. And some of us are sweet potato, mashed potato people. And they're very different kinds of people. Like I, I, I like my food in general separated, but for some reason at Thanksgiving, I just want it all mixed up, right? You just mix it all in and it's good, right? Not the turkey. That's got to stay aside. I don't know why that doesn't mix well. Turkeys don't play well with other people, the people. Um, anyway, but watching people serve together, they didn't know each other at the beginning of the evening. At the end of the evening, they knew each other. They traded, you know, Instagram handles because that's what we do now, right? I'm not going to give you my phone number, but here's who I am on Instagram. Um, and so this is why he says, dear friends, right? He says, I want you to know, I, I, when you serve with people, you, you bond with people. When you serve hard and you serve well, they'll be your friends and they'll be your friends for life. Romans 16, 16, he says then, he says, greet each other with a sacred kiss. All the churches of Christ send you their greetings. That's beautiful. Um, I had a thought in my head. I was like, you know what? I should make everybody kiss. <laughs> I love the nervous laugh. <laughs> I'm not sitting with anyone I know. But that would be for me. It would be a selfish thing for me just to watch that happen. I did one time have you guys hold hands and forgot to tell you to let go. <laughs> and I had someone come up to me afterwards and be like, you never told us to let go. That dude held my hand the whole time. So, so I'm not going to do that with the sacred kiss, all right? Because it could get super weird in here. Um, but, you know, you know, we don't do it anymore. Um, if we were French, you know, we'd do that kind of kissing. We're not French. Um, we, don't, we don't do that. We're, you know, we're Protestant Americans, so we're a little, you know, tactile defensive most of the time. But, but this, is a, this is a church that hugs, you know. My hope is that this is a church where, you know, intimacy is microwaved a little bit because you come in and you get hugged and you get a warm handshake. You know, you can, you can transliterate it however you want to transliterate it. But the idea is that, um, is that there's a place. You know, why don't we do this? And, and by the way, they would do this even in communion. And the Catholic Church is interesting. They had a tradition of doing it, and then it kind of fell out of practice. In 1970, there's actually a big argument about putting a sacred kiss back into the communion service, um, and, and which is kind of interesting when you read about. But every time we greet, every time we shake hands, every time we hug, we enjoy the Christian welcome of brothers and sisters. And we are doing sacred work when we do that, a sacred kiss. And just for the record, if you call yourself a Christian and you walk into a new place, and this happens a lot, right? There's, there's this idea of church climate. There's this idea, is it a welcoming church or not? I hope that we are. I, you know, that's what we strive to be. But sometimes people come in, they don't know anybody. They don't get to know anybody. And if, just for the record, if you're new to this place and you call yourself a Christian, you have the responsibility just as much as the people here at this church to reach out and welcome people. Because if you're a Christian and this is a church, it's home right? You don't have to be convinced of it. Even if you're just checking it out for the first time, you're welcome to welcome people as well with a sacred kiss or handshake or hug or however you want to do it. Anyway, Romans 16, 17. And now I make one more appeal. He says, dear brothers and sisters, watch out for people who cause division 
and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you have been taught. And then he actually says, stay away from them. And listen, in any group, there's always somebody, right? There's always somebody who's causing trouble. There's always a pot stirrer, right? And you're thinking about your friend group right now, and you're thinking, yeah, I know who that guy is. <laughs> or girl. Or me. <laughs> there's always a pot stirrer. But he says, listen, if it's contrary to the instruction that you have received. So let's be clear. What had they been taught? We just spent 28 weeks on what they had been taught, right? 28 weeks on what this is all about. As well, the gospels of Jesus Christ that they're, they're recognizing. And we understand this. God's words stand as the only measure of truth that we have for doctrine. And, and this focus on Jesus, this focus on grace, this understanding of who Jesus is and who we are through that is the thing that creates unity. And when people are being divisive, it's because they're changing our focus away from Jesus into something else. And those other things become very divisive, but Jesus is the great unifier. And here's the problem. The problem is that unity cannot come at the cost of conscience. And too often we are asked to put away our conscience for the greater good. I don't think that Jesus calls us to that because when you're focused on Jesus, there is a unity that is implicit with an understanding of who Jesus is. We can fight about a great many things and friends, we will. But if we are focused on Jesus, it will not cause division. It will cause conversation and those are great. But if you push someone away from a focus on Jesus, then you are divisive because that is not what this teaching has taught us. Above everything else, it has taught us to focus on Jesus and that is important for us to know. Romans 16, 18, such people are not serving Christ our Lord. They are serving their own personal interests by smooth talk and glowing words. They deceive innocent people. Now, Paul, you know, many times throughout Paul's writings, Paul says, listen, I committed myself to come to you and not, not preach with flowery words, not be, you know, super smooth. I'm just going to teach you about Jesus, him crucified, him resurrected. That's all I'm going to preach, right? But I was thinking about it. Okay, how do we make this in the context of who we are today as Seventh-day Adventist Christians? Like, what, what is the smooth talk that we have? Um, what is, if somebody's coming and like, you know, what is a smooth talk and glowing words? What does that mean? I think in the Seventh-day Adventist world, what it is is someone who, who knows how to quote scripture really quickly to make their point, but they don't necessarily have the right kind of hermeneutic in understanding that scripture. It is very intimidating, and I think we've all probably experienced this, when somebody's like quoting scripture at you, well, what about this, what about this, what about this, and they're jumping all over scripture. And you're like, man, I can't keep track. I don't know, I don't know scripture that well. I guess I'm not as good a Christian. No, friends. They may know scripture, but they may know it like a dagger. They may know it in a way that creates so much division and only makes their argument, not God's argument. We did not spend a week in Romans, and I give you the highlights. We spent 28 weeks in Romans so that you might know Paul's theology, so that when somebody says this, you go, that doesn't sound right. And they're like, why? And they're like, do you have 28 weeks to study Romans with me? <laughs> which, by the way, will solve that argument, just to be clear. They're like, no, and leave, which is okay too. 
But I think, I think within our economy, within the Seventh-day Adventist church, we can often be very impressed by somebody who is quick at quoting scripture and throwing it out, but may not be using it in the correct way. That can be dangerous. The way you know scripture matters. The way you understand scripture. Do you know certain words within scripture or do you know the great themes of scripture? Do you know certain texts or do you know the overwhelming direction of scripture? Are you under, do you understand the meta-narrative that is within scripture from Old Testament to New, from Genesis to Revelation? Or are you really good at picking out an obscure text that will make you look like you know scripture? I have had people who absolutely abuse scripture throw it back in my face. And you probably have too. And if you've been guilty of that, Repent, because we have to know scripture differently, better. It has to be wrapped around our hearts, but that means we have to be drowning in it. Not just in certain pieces, but in the whole ocean of the goodness of God that we see throughout all of scripture. Romans 16, 19, I gotta, I gotta rush here a little bit. Romans 16, 19, but everyone knows that you are obedient to the Lord. He's super excited. He's super excited that they're doing great things and that they are being called into accountability and they're listening to the words of God and they are following and being obedient to God. This makes me very happy. He says, I want you to be wise in doing what is right and stay innocent of any wrong, right? He, he wants them to live their best lives, if we could say. He's happy in their work and in their direction and he's encouraging. And man, being part of an encouraging community is really important. Unfortunately, churches aren't as encouraging as they should be and so I hope that's not the case within this church. My hope is that we are encouraging, even when we disagree, we need to be encouraging one another. Um, I did CrossFit for like uh, two weeks and, um, and they're super encouraging. Like those people are super encouraged. They're like, come on, you can do it. And I didn't realize why they were being so encouraging until they put me through hell. And I realized, oh, they'll, but they'll go with you through it. They'll be like, you can do it. And you're like, no, I can't. And they're like, yes, you can. And you're like, no, I can't. They're like, no, you can't. And I said, I told you. You know, and they're like, but you made it. And I'm like, I can't make it to my car. And they're like, it's okay. We're very strong. We'll carry you. <laughs> Which is the way it works. It's an encouraging community, right? I wish church was like that. Romans 16, 20, he says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. May the grace of your Lord Jesus Christ be with you. He says this work, this work of victory, by the way, it's not ours, it's God's. And the mechanism for that victory is grace. It's not our works, Right? It's important. Then he sends greeting to a few other people, right? He sends greeting, I should say, from a few other people, people he had been working with for the next four verses. Timothy, Lucius, Jason, Sosipater, Tertius, who was a scribe, Gaius, Erastus. He names the important folk that he had been working with because, again, they would have known who these guys were. And then he finishes like this. Now, all glory to God, who is able to make you strong just as my good news says. This message about Jesus Christ has revealed his plan to you, for you Gentiles. A plan kept secret from the beginning of time. So first of all, what is this message about? It's about Jesus. What is revelation about? It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you catch a theme in scripture? If you are spending all your time on something other than Jesus in scripture, you're missing the point. Because all scripture speaks of Jesus. 
It's about Jesus and his inclusiveness when it comes to the Gentiles and his plan that he's always had for him and for them. And it even says interesting, like it was kept secret. Well, why was it kept secret? Because I think the, the, the nation of Israel, the children of Israel kept it for themselves. Remember, Jesus spoke of a monotheism that didn't exist before he spoke about it. He didn't speak about a tribal mono, monotheistic God. He didn't say this is the God just of Israel. Jesus said this is the God of everyone. That was new. Israel had been saying, listen, if you want to be part of us, become part of us, and then you can have our God. That's not what Jesus was saying, and that's not what Paul was saying. Paul was saying there is one God over all, for all. And then he says in verse 26, he says, but now... As the prophets foretold, and as the eternal God has commanded, this message is made known to all Gentiles everywhere so that they too might believe and obey him. This is the pervasive gospel, the gospel that is for everyone. Of course, all have sinned, but all can receive grace if they so choose. Paul goes back to this recurring theme again and again. You are part of the kingdom of God. You are part of the kingdom of God. Jesus died for you. There is no one who is excluded if they so choose to be part of the kingdom of God. And then he wraps it up in the last verse. And he says this, all glory to the only wise God through Jesus Christ forever, period. And then he says, amen. And what he meant by that was, all this that I've just said, this goes on forever, and it's true. Verily, verily, truly, truly, amen. There's nothing more to be said. Truth, and he is finished. And the reason why I think this is important is because at the beginning of that sentence, he said, all this is for the glory of God. And he said it in verse 15, he said it in chapter 15, he said it in chapter 14, all of this, all this that I've written, all this understanding, all this obedience, all everything, all of this is for the glory of God. It's not for the glory of us. It's not so that we might be lifted up, it's so that Jesus may be lifted up. It's so that God may be seen to be the good God that he is. This is not about us. If you read scripture and all you find is yourself, you're reading it wrong. Because scripture is not about us. It is about Jesus Christ. And through Jesus Christ, we absolutely find out who we are. We absolutely find our identity and we find our peace and we find a peace that goes beyond the chaos that goes beyond what doesn't seem right anymore with the world. I got a chance to be up in Roseville with the leadership of Avenus Health. Um, and a, a couple days before, they had, had a, um, a town hall meeting with their employees from Feather River, their hospital in Paradise. And if you're awake, you know what's happened up there. Like an overwhelming fire, a fire that was moving at one point something like 100 yards a second. I don't even know how that happens. People who went to work at 7 o'clock in the morning who by 8.04 were being evacuated and running for their lives from the hospital. The president showed me a picture of a baby, uh, of, a, of the card of a baby that had been born at 8.18 after the hospital was being evacuated. And as he zoomed out on his phone, that bassinet was sitting on the helipad. What they're going through is overwhelming. 
got to talk to some of the people. Overwhelming, not reasonable. But an overwhelming peace is still there. Sure, not for everybody, but some have been able to recognize the peace that even though this chaos had happened in their lives, God is good. God is full of grace and full of love. And while it doesn't all make sense, and we can talk about all the different ways that we can justify how this could work and how God could still be good in the midst of all this, and those are great conversations to have, there was a peace at times through some of those that I'd seen. What they went through was unreasonable. And thank you so much for those of you who gave to our disaster response fund. We were able to give it actually to Adventist Health who was matching any of the donations which is great because it really doubled the amount of money that we, could, that, that we were able to give them. So thank you. If you wanna to continue to give to that response fund, please feel free. That's certainly not the last and it's certainly not over. A Woolsey fire that's happening out in LA, it's too much. But Paul says, you know, through all of this, God is good. And, and what we've said over the last 28 weeks, it's truth. Don't let anyone divide you away from that truth. The truth of who Jesus is and the way he loves you and the way that he saves you. I believe that God is doing something incredibly powerful through Crosswalk. And I think it's because we have decided that we will focus on Jesus, that we will allow him to be the prism that explodes grace into the world. That, that our first and foremost job is to be the ones who speak his name into the world and give his peace, who greet one another with a sacred kiss, who welcome all those who want to be a part of the kingdom. Because we decided to be a community of belonging and we knew that the only one who creates true belonging and true unity is Jesus, we have stayed there. We've seen over the last 28 weeks amazing things happen within our community and outside of our community. And I believe over the next 28 weeks, God is going to do even more. So thank you. Thank you for being along for the journey. Thank you for learning and growing. Thank you for doubling down in the fact that that scripture holds the truth about who God is. And if we want to abide in it, we will have a better understanding because it was a long journey, it was a long work. But it leads us to a grateful heart. And it leads us to a better understanding of even who we are through who Jesus is. So I'm grateful for you. I give thanks for you. And I give thanks for what God is doing through you. Every single one of you has a, has a meaning and motion in this movement. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, thank you for your grace, for your mercy, for your compassion. Lord, thank you for giving Paul these words that we might lean into them again and again and again. Lord, be with those who are suffering right now. It is overwhelming and we can't fix it all, but through it all, we can believe that you're good. We can still worship you, glorify your name. Lord, send us back to scripture when we begin to waver, when we begin to get outside the confines of your gospel. Lord, give us peace and give us unity even though we're in the midst of division oftentimes. Lord, grow meaningful and robust conversations, but let us all still fellowship together even though we might not all see things the same way. 
And Lord, may you continue to grow this community of belonging far outside and to exceed these walls. Because you're not just here. We do not capture you here. We just collaborate with you. And then we are sent out into the world to change it. Thank you for allowing us to be those agents. We pray these things in your holy, precious, and powerful name, in the name of Jesus. Amen.